Welcome to the Association Strong Podcast, where we offer insight from both a seasoned association exec and an entrepreneur. I'm Dave Will. And I'm Tom Morrison. Listen in as we discuss and debate hot topics in the association community. Don't forget to subscribe and share us with your friends. Hey, Tom Morrison and Dave Will here again. And about 30 seconds ago, we said, you know what? Let's talk about strategic planning. Talk about not strategically planning this podcast. Well, let me share with you something, Dave. Everybody's strategic plan pretty much come March of 2020. <laughs> throw it out the door, gone. Just like my thing here, shaking. This is what strategic planning was like this year. So he's, for those of you listening, he's shaking his video. So why do you say that? Uh, you're just saying because of the COVID thing this year in 2020, you're saying well, the strategic plan just needs to be. What, that's an interesting topic, actually. What do you do in the situation where your strategic plan just blows up? So here's the thing. If you have a good strategic plan, it doesn't blow up. That's so for me, that's the thing that people kept trying to move away from is they got focused in the now on COVID and thinking COVID was the rest of the world to them. And it's not. COVID is no different than 9-11. It's no different than the 2009 crash. It's no different than any other big key legislation that passes and it drastically demolishes your industry almost. I mean, so COVID just was a, it was obviously magnified a lot of different weaknesses in a lot of associations. And I was listening, I've seen on Collaborate with ASAE and heard people talking about how do you promote membership and how do you promote your value and how do you do all that during the COVID crisis? And I'm like, 2020 is not about promoting your value. 2020 is about doing your value. We talked about it in the first session of the podcast about doing your value. So people say, my gosh, my association, I'm in desperate mode. And because of my association, I'm not in desperate mode. I just got off a webcast with a member that had a new CEO come on board. And he really didn't know the last three months that he had an MTI membership. And so we got on board with him and his six key leaders and we started going through things. And he really began to see clearly when I went through the things he has access to as a company, our new mantra for 2020 is going through business without a membership in MTI is like driving in the dark with your headlights off. Why would you want to do that? I think that's fascinating though, that people don't even know they have memberships. And I know. It's, it's stunning to me how many people, like I was just, in a webinar today where I was actually presenting in this webinar today about contextual engagement and this concept of putting context around people's actions or lack of actions. Like they didn't renew. Why not? Like what, what's the context behind them not renewing? You know what the most common response is when you say, Hey, why didn't you renew? You know what it is? Guess Tom. Lack of engagement. No, they didn't know. They didn't know their membership had lapsed. Right. It's, oh, okay. Yeah, I don't I know. That. Yeah. I didn't know my membership lapsed, even though you sent them like 30 emails. So the fact that people just don't know is amazing. In fact, I, I belong, I'm on the board for, I was on the board for entrepreneurs organization. And, you know, we would constantly be sending notifications to members about events coming up. And then when we'd ask people like, well, how come you didn't come to the event? They'd be like, what event? <laughs> like it's just unbelievable how communications has got to be marketing communications really really hard jobs here's two factors i really think so most associations manage if you take members per staff member and it's different between trade associations and societies obviously because you know societies will have fifty thousand members we've got twenty thousand people that are within the companies that we manage but we only have 370 members but it maxes out to twenty thousand people when you look at number of members per company managed per employee, it's a lot of people to connect with on an intimate basis. So going back to strategic planning, how do you have a strategy that helps you 
get into a member's mind as intimately as possible so that they always know you have a membership and when you're going to let it go, you're letting it go for a specific reason, not because I didn't know. And it's just like today, I had a, the call I had today, I told you about a Zoom call with the new CEO and his six chief managers, vice presidents. I, I'm going to think about doing that with every member, giving them an opportunity. If you would like to get you and your key management on a Zoom call and just connect with MTI and let us help you understand all the things you have to get you out of COVID and into the future, man, I'm so ready to do that. It was an engaging call. When we got done, they're like, man, we had access to a lot and we didn't even know it. But, you know, it's tough. It's tough for many associations to have that intimate level because they'd be on the phone constantly. So that's where I think platforms like PropFuel come along, helping you provide that intimate connection with your member is so valuable today. And, we're, you know, we're, we're about to stop one campaign and start another campaign with PropFuel that's going to help us do that. What do you think are the elements of a, I'm going to say corporate. So let's break this down if we could into two parts. One yeah. is I'd like to talk about association leadership strategies, you know, member-based organization strategy. Mm-hmm. And then the second part I'd like to talk about is like, what can we learn from corporate strategy that we can apply to association? That's where I'd like to jump in a little bit more. I don't know a heck of a lot about association strategies, but I do know a lot about corporate business strategy and strategic planning. Mm-hmm. And so tell me what makes up a good strategic plan for an association? Well, there's two types of pathways that people take. One, some will run down and they'll want to focus on a mission statement first. And then they'll have a series of pillars, like five or seven pillars that hit that mission statement in a variety of different areas of the industry that are either concerns or, or issues that they need to deal with. You know, government advocacy may be one of those pillars. And then they have typically some subsets of those pillars that are the action steps of the things that they want to make sure strategically are in place to accomplish that stuff. That's kind of how a lot of strategic plans. So there's, there's mission-based strategic planning. I'm more of a value-based guy. I always tell people, we said this in session one of, the, of when I talked about Alive, members, they support your mission, but they buy your value. If you get down to the, with the moment of truth at the end of the year, when they write their check for your renew their membership, they're not thinking about your mission statement. They're thinking about the value that you gave them to help them in their largest pain point. So my question is in strategic planning, have you taken the, the opportunity to identify what in the world is the pain points of your members. Realtors have pain points, doctors have pain points, attorneys have pain points, all those society members have pain points when they wake up every day to go to work. And are you helping them as an association eliminate the stress and anxiety that comes from all those pain points? A lot of them do not. They're like, well, that's their issue to work with. We're gonna work on these other areas. But I think, man, you need to, we need to be looking into the the highest pain point. That's what we focused on the last 15 years. And I think that's why we've had the engagement and the growth and support that we've had. So, so board members are constantly changing, correct? Yes. Yeah. So ours, ours has a total turnover about every five years. We'll have a to- totally new board every, about every five years. Yeah. And, and in, in the board I'm involved in, it's a, I think it's a two year term, if I'm not mistaken. Every, I think they're debating whether or not to make presidencies two years, but it's a one year term. So when you have boards that are constantly turning over, Mm-hmm. Isn't it, aren't strategies set at the board level, generally speaking? They are, yeah. They're sat, so how sat. do you keep a consistent long-term strategy with a group of people that's constantly shifting? I think that's one of the hardest things with board-driven strategic planning. Well, see, what we do is we developed ours in 2004 before I got here. And in 2006, when I arrived, they said, Tom, your goal is to bring life to the strategic plan. So we had a very good strategic plan. And I put, it was seven pillars, and I put them up on the wall in PowerPoint format. And then I sought to make sure each one of those were filtered in in some fashion into our, pro, our, our value and our process. 
But what we've done, Dave, is we have reviewed the strategic plan every two years. So if we have a whole new board every six years, every two years, everyone's getting to see the strategic plan and make shifts in it every two years. So that's how we have been able to really capitalize on a shifting board with new ideas versus having traditional that know what's going on. And we ask ourselves three questions. We have never yet, since I've been here, we've never wiped out, because I, I, I had this happen at one association. They had this pretty nice strategy plan that I had been a part of five years previous. And in the middle of this board meeting, this board member, who's a new board member, says, now she thought she's, she's a strategist and she thought she knew a lot. I mean, I've, she, she obviously does. She's been around for quite a while, but she said, I think we should just scrap the current strategic plan and start over. And I'm like, wait a minute, 20 people put a lot of emphasis and a lot of, a lot of smart people in that strategic plan. It's not bad. It's really probably just over cumbersome. And we need to take a look at piece by piece and ask three questions. These are the three questions, Dave that we ask every two years. We take each of our six pillars that we currently have in our value statement, and we ask yeah. three things of ourselves. What are they? What are we doing that we should not be doing? It's done, it's irrelevant, or actually it's finished. You know, so what are we doing that we should not be doing? And then the second question is, what are we not doing that we should be doing? What are we missing? And that comes from listening to members, getting that contextual engagement stuff, that information back from members, understanding what is their pain point. So what are we not doing that we should be doing? And then what are we doing that we should be doing different? Because it's still relevant, but the market's changed for how we need to offer it. So we need to shift up how we offer it so that it's more meaningful to members. We've asked those three questions of every element every other year. We're gonna actually be doing it in 20, 2021 in January. And it has helped us phenomenally keep our, our strategic plan, a dynamic document that helps guide us down the road. I mean, we're looking at new things, We'll look at our strategic plan and say, does it fit in that strategic plan? Is it relevant? And if it is, we move forward with it. If it's not, it's just some wild, hairy idea, then we do not. If I seem distracted, forgive me, because I'm, I'm looking for some strategy statements from uh, some of the greatest companies out there. And I found a few, but I've always been a little bit, gosh, I don't know how to put this, given that our the hopefully the people listening to this are association executives. Mm -hmm. And so this, this may sound offensive, but generally speaking, I'm a huge fan of the entrepreneur's approach to strategic planning. I do not see a lot of that with associations. The entrepreneur's approach to strategic planning typically follows one of two models. And there's a whole bunch of other models, but one is called traction. Otherwise, the, the uh, EOS, Entrepreneur's Operating System, Gino Wickman is the author of this book called Traction, I think. And then the other one, the other big one is Vern Harnish. And Vern Harnish wrote a book called Scaling Up. The original one was Rockefeller Habits. And both of these are books designed to help an organization create a structure around their strategic planning. We did one with your friend Cruiser uh, and Kyle Howland. Yep. We did a, it was something that, that he called Prometheus and that was yep. based on a military approach. And this is my last company. We did Prometheus as a model. And all of them have similar approaches and the approaches focus on starting at the top, creating a vision. Of course, then you have BHAG, B-H-A-G, the big, hairy, audacious goal, right? And usually that's thinking crazy, thinking really big. We're going to grow 20% in membership this year. Don't love it because it's focused on like that to me is, a, is a, the big, hairy, audacious goal should in theory be like, how are we going to change the world? Right. As opposed to how, what's our revenue going to be or what's our membership size going to be? 
generally speaking, I do see a lot of companies say, we want to grow to be a billion, you know, and like, that's fine. What's more important though, is the value you're creating in the world. And if you can create a vision that's aligned with the value that you're creating in the world, now you really got something. Mm -hmm. Like Apple, gosh, what was theirs? I, I think, let me see if I can find apples but steve jobs man he was the one of the epitome just an amazing visionary uh, bill gates even uh remember back in the day his his vision was a, a pc on everyone's desk on it mm-hmm. which at the time was absurd right guess what pc on everyone's desk so or at least a computer <laughs> we'll go with that right. uh, as i look into my mac but so there's a bunch of elements of a corporate strategic plan which includes a vision Right. And above a vision is the big, hairy, audacious goal. So you have the big, hairy, audacious goal, like how are we going to change the world? Uh, ju- what's just south of impossible? And right. I got that phrase from Cruiser, this uh, Kyle, Kyle Howland, our consultant that helped us do this. What's just south of impossible? And then you have your vision, which is like in five years, three years, let's pick a period of time. Where do you want to be? Describe the company. And, and we had this description that included 12 variables that we would focus on. All this is documented, by the way. So a vision of where the company was going to be from a culture perspective, from a client perspective, from a product perspective, from a services perspective, from a philanthropic perspective, from a financial perspective. And so all, what does it look like? The more crystal clear you can paint this picture, the better you are. Right. And then underneath that, you'd have the values, which is what you, you talked about. Right. And if we can understand our values, now we know how we behave to accomplish our goals. And then on top of all that, now you're dealing with, in one case of the, what is it, the uh, Gino Wickman and his entrepreneur operating system, the, the uh, traction, he has these things called rocks. And rocks are like these stepping stones to get to your vision. Right. And now you break these rocks down into lots of different categories. So it's a very, very structured process. Strategy is interesting. So if you think about a strategy statement, a lot of people don't even know what a strategy statement is, but the strategy is from an internal perspective, how are you going to do things? Which is different from a vision statement, right? Right. Let me see if I can find, I have one here. Walmart's, oh, this, is, this is really cool. Walmart's strategy is to save people money so they can live better. Really, really simple. Our strategy is- Who wouldn't want that? Their goal, well, I'll tell you who wouldn't want that is somebody that wants to shop at like Macy's. Right, right. Actually, I think, is Macy's a high-end? I think Macy's is a high-end department. Typically, yeah. Lynn Neiman Marcus. Yeah, so like Neiman Marcus, you want somebody to come up and fit you first. But, you want someone remember, to come up and help that, you find the right vacuum cleaner. <laughs> remember, that's not Walmart's target audience, though. That, and nor is you, it their strategy. Right. That's what. That's why you have to really understand who's your target audience. Like ours, ours is in the middle of our bat. And you remember, I don't know if you remember me us talking in the live, but having a strategy. I mean, I'm sorry, a value diagram that's clear and concise and measurable that can tell anyone in an elevator ride why they should be a member. And in the middle of it is the power statement. And ours is very simple, to maximize people, productivity, and profits for business owners. That's what it is. Mm-hmm. Any, any business owner, that speaks to anyone, because they're all wanting to maximize their people because there's so few of them. And they definitely want to maximize productivity. Heck, that's what drives profits. And when you say maximize profits, the next question is, well, how do you do that for us? So that's, that's our strategy statement. I'm looking, there, there was an a airline, and I can't find it. I was looking for this, and I cannot find it. And I may even have it wrong. There was an airline, their strategy was butts and seats, I think, or it was, maybe it was, uh, oh, yeah, I, I'm sorry, it wasn't butts and seats, wheels up. 
That's it. Yeah. That was their strategy. Mm-hmm. Wheels up. Right. And strategies are not meant to be marketing campaigns. Right. Strategies are meant to be a common theme for staff mm-hmm. to get their arms around so that everything you do when you're working drives it. Drives that strategy. Now for, for them, wheels up is the strategy that says no matter what you do, our job is to get airplanes in the air because they're not right. making money unless the airplane's in the air. Right. That's when airlines make money is when the airplanes are in the air. Wheels up. Right. And any delay to getting wheels up, that's going against Cross their strategy. Nine. So those are the elements that I see to a corporate strategy. Tell me, what do you, I'm curious, do you see any difference in terms of corporate strategies versus uh, association strategies? I've read a couple of books and I think there are some differences how corporate, how corporations go at strategy than, than associations because corporations, they're profit driven associations. When we talked about early on where most a lot of associations are ran by governors, not business savvy people. So they approach a strategic planning process, pursuing a mission, not a value. And it's a different, to me, it's a different pathway. And when you're going after a, a mission, it's more of a charitable, you know, kind of for the good of the order kind of thing. And so you approach that differently in solving your, cause you're then trying to better the industry, but you can solve the industry's problems all day long. But if your members, if 40% of your, of your potential members, don't think that's the right mission, then you're kind of out of luck. That's why I'm, I'm a value-driven guy. I think you need to come to the table as an association, strategize to the value you want to bring to the industry to help them succeed as an industry. But, but the mission is something a little bit above that. But to me, mission is charitable. Members support that. They don't buy that. You know, so I, that's why I'm a big believer in driving that value proposition and work from there because that's why people pay their checks. I'm really struggling with this one. So associations, generally speaking, you're saying are mission driven and get uh, memberships because people support the mission? Well, think about ours. So our mission is to, in, is to enhance the image and profitability of the heat treating industry. Well, I mean, that sounds Is that good. why you have members though? Because, or do no. you have members because they're getting value out of membership? That. Yes, they're getting value out of the membership. How is that any different from a customer of a, of a corporate entity? So I, I, what the point I'm making is, I don't know how much different it is from a for-profit. To me, it's a, it's a tax filing process. It's not, I don't know how much changes in the process. I think PropFuel dramatically increases in number of customers if, it has a, if the customer understands the value you bring to them on a day-to-day basis. Yes. But they will sit around and talk hesitation to you all day long if all they're looking at is your mission. So I, I think if the customer really understands your value, that how that helps them accelerate and be better at business, driving productivity, driving profits, driving people, better people skills, you know, in terms of workforce development, if you're impacting their daily life and business and or their business model, how they earn money, whether it's a realtor, doctor, attorney, or, or a trade or a, a manufacturing company, I think they're all in of wanting to be a member because they, they connect to the value. Not everybody connects to the, to the mission. That's a philanthropic kind of thing for me when you're putting money in for the mission. Because the mission doesn't say anything about the value we offer the market. It just says, this is what we'd like to do for the industry. And I, I think there are people that do write checks for that. But I think when, here's when you find out if your members are into your mission. This year, how many people have the money? They have the money. It's a tough year. And they have the money to pay for the membership. But they're trying to save costs. They let go of the membership. That's when you find out when your value is really meaningful. They have the money to pay it, but it's a little tight and they drop your membership. Your mission means nothing to them. If you had value, they'd keep the membership in most cases. And yeah. we're experiencing that. I mean, our, 
I mean, we haven't, ha I think we've only had one company all year that, that went away and, and it was just because they, our membership dues are $400 a quarter and they had $100 in the bank. So they didn't have really the money to pay for it. So our retention rate has been very high through COVID, but I think it's because we offer great value to the members. So that's what I would say when you're looking at that strategically. I said this in 2009, people like, oh, you lost 25 members. Well, 23 of them went out of business. So the retention rate of actually those that were in business, had the money to pay and paid it was very, very high for us. And that's what I always, when I'm looking at these times like this, I'm looking at how many members left us that had actually the money to pay for it because times got tight, they chose to sit on the sideline. Is it, value proposition a part of the strategic plan, do you think? Absolutely, because the board helps set that value because it's part of their process to put what are the big initiatives that we want to really drive home and, and the part of value. Well, then let me take this one step further and going closer to marketing. Is target audience part of the strategic plan? No. So make that's, that's a little too far down the marketing path. When you, when you say target market, you, know, you need to decide who's your audience. We could have, we have commercial heat treaters as our true audience since 1933, but they're customers. There's only 590 of our members total in, in North America, only 590, and we've got half of them. Now there's 9,500 of their customers who qualify on a limited basis to our market. So do we, it's the board's decision whether to open up that target market, but they don't get down into target messaging. It, they just decide at a strategic level, who do we want to include in the game? And then it's our job as the staff to then target market to that group, those groups. How do you create a value proposition if you don't know your target market? You can't. So the target market needs to be a part of the strategic plan. Right, now here's the thing. If you, just, if you determine there's an underserved market, target market, and you have the medicine, then yeah, you can create, you can create the medicine before the target. I always go back to the Henry Ford. Henry Ford saw that the horse and buggy industry was an under, underserved industry per se. The, and don't call it the horse and buggy, the transportation industry was underserved because they weren't innovating. And he came along and innovated the car and then boom, the horse and buggy industry got another level of value by up, up going up. But if, like we said, if Henry Ford would listen to his customer, they'd have said, we just need a bigger, a faster horse and buggy. So I think you can have innovation and products that can drive a new customer base if it's underserved. But I find that to be very few. If you don't know your target market, you don't know what their needs are. You don't know what their pain points are. You don't know what to offer them. You're just guessing. Speaking of horse and buggies, Tom, have you ever been to uh, the Porsche Museum or factory in, um, in Germany? Stuttgart. Mm -hmm. no. It is incredible. It's incredible. And I'm not even a car buff, but it's just incredible from a historical perspective. Oh, yeah. yeah, but that's a little off subject, isn't it? Well, I'd well, be actually, think about it. Though. Think about 1903. You're a horse and buggy dealership. You're the biggest in the country. And you're sitting there in your dealership, brushing your horse, waxing your wheels, and you hear this rumbling down the road. And this car, this Model T, about 10 miles an hour. Actually, the away. first car was electric. Well, 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 it comes along. <laughs> That's what I just learned. It passes your house and you're, and, you're, and you're like, what in the heck is that? Where's the horse? I mean, immediately you see, now here's the funny thing. It took 10 years for Henry Ford to mass produce the car. So that guy had 10 years to strategically decide, do I get into it? Do I get better horses? Do I get better buggies? Nowadays, man, you may have less than a year before change rocks your soul. So yeah, and here's the thing about strategy, Dave, is your strategy has to be, it can't be super long-term. You can no longer say, where do you want to be in 10 years? Cause you don't know what's going to be happening in 10 years. They're already saying that 40% of the 40, before COVID, they were already saying that 40% of the fortune 500 companies will not be here in 2029, 10 years. How do, how do you strategically plan knowing that if you're doing business with fortune 500 companies, you don't know which 200 companies aren't going to be here. 
So I think strategic planning has to be a set of initiatives and goals of what you want to be as a company. And then you're looking every 24 months out because it changes about every 24 months. You're looking every 24 months on a quarterly basis. Where are you at? This came from a quote from Tom Watson, who founded IBM. They said, what helped you make IBM what it was? He said, I had three things. Strategically, I wanted to know where we wanted to be when it was done. What do we want the company to look like? And then, where, and then we looked back and said, where were we along stopping points? We had stopping points to see where we were. And then we had a plan to close the gaps to continue to be what we wanted to be. Another simple three-step strategy of questions to ask yourself and your timeline. I can't encourage, if, if this is interesting to you and you think your association could be, get a little more structured with the, your day-to-day operations all the way up to your longer-term vision, I can't recommend scaling up as a book uh, more from, by Vern Harnish. I mean, it's it's a really good book. Tom, do you do you have values at MTI? We do. We have not. We have nine core values that we. What are um, they? I don't know them all nine, but it's things like employee. Nailed safety. it. That's my point, man. And so I don't mean to embarrass you, but I, I'm gonna anyway. To have core values, to me, I think if you walk around an organization and you ask every employee, and half of them don't know what your core values are right off the bat, then it's just not successful. Well, I, here's I, mean, what I, I don't think you, I don't think I would can, argue nine is too many if you don't know what they are. I think you can have a set of core values of nine that allow you to live within those values to know where, where to go in different things. Cause there are, there were not, our board thought there were nine different things that they felt were very important that we have like transparency, employee safety, our partnerships, not competitors, safety above all else. Cause manufacturing, it can be pretty hairy in the plant. There are nine core values that we all live within and then we go to those core values, just ask ourselves, are we living within those core values? But, you know, I don't, I don't think you need to, I'm not one of those that says you need to memorize nine. You just need to memorize, you need to know them well enough to be able to live, try to know to live within them. The other thing I think oftentimes leadership does not do well is iterate the vision and the values, the mission of an organization and consistently tell stories around it. If the values and the vision of an organization are not baked into everything you do, then it's, it becomes effectiveless. Right. Is that a well, word? Effectiveless? It, 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 it's ineffective. Maybe, well, <laughs> Maybe that's I, the word I was looking for. It's ineffective. I, I created a new word last week in a conversation, emotionability. Oh, I like emotionability. Yeah. I, it just you have came high out levels of, of emotionability. It, I do. It just came out of nowhere. And they're like, oh my gosh, that is such a good word. So, but here's, All right, the, so, so, here, here's the thing about communicating. I just want to add yeah. a step on what you just said. So having the president of your association be the purveyor of that drive and that passion in a lot of cases is not the best thing because why the, that member is going to speak to the value of the association to the eyes of how they view it. And only about a third of the crowd may see that value through his eyes. What you need is to have the CEO, the top staff person be empowered to communicate that value and drive and that vision because they understand the vision in a global perspective and communicate in a global perspective. One, why video is so powerful. It's imperative that every association listening strategically have an awesome video strategy to communicate their overall value and mission and pain points that they're solving because now that board member has a consistent tool to share that global vision and that global, that global value as opposed to talking solely through what he sees. You know, when someone says, hey, Dave, tell me what the vision is of, of entrepreneurial organization. You would give me probably through how you benefited through them, but, not, but, but the CEO of EO would have given me a global perspective of what it means to everybody. That's, that's what, why do you, I, 
What do you think associations are doing poorly that they could do better from a, from a strategic planning perspective? And that's where my thought is that maybe that's where we can wrap this is what could people do better? Two statements, say what you're gonna do, do what you say you're gonna do. Most people strategically plan, hey, we got this great plan. They put it on the shelf and they come back in two years and they say, hey, wait a minute, hold on, let me dust it off. That's because it's like 500 pages long. <laughs> I know, but, but, but here, the, street, the strategy, in my opinion, has to be clear, concise, and measurable. And whatever you say you're gonna do, you have to do what you say. At MTI, we have done that hands down. If you look at our strategic plan and went through it line by line, you can say, yep, they're doing that this way. We connect our value to a pain point and our pain point to an action. And every one of ours, you went through our set six pillars and the subsections under it, you can see that we're doing every single one of those in steps every single week, if not daily. Say what you does, does what you say. Right. Or something like that. Tom, yet again, I learned a lot from you today. I love you, Dave. This is awesome. I love having this time because there's such You're a connection. High levels of emotion ability. I'll tell you that right now. I love it, man. I, I, and hopefully action ability. That's what we want out of it is action ability. Another good one down. See ya. Peace out. We hope you gained some inspiration that will help you run an efficient and effective association just like a business and maybe laugh a little with us. If you have a topic you would like to hear us talk about, or if you just want to reach out to us for any reason, you can contact us at Tom at TomMorrison.biz or Dave at PropFuel.com. Give us a review if you haven't already. And don't forget, subscribe and share with your friends.